God's people are to be characterized by joy, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Today we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38, and I would encourage you to please turn there, either in your Bibles, or you may also find this text printed in your scriptures this morning. Now, God's word for God's people. Before we read, let us pray. God, our Father, we ask you to work through Simeon and Anna to show us their perspective on joy that we might emulate them in our day. Make us joyful people. We pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Luke 2, 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, that is Mary and Joseph, brought him, their son Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. It revives the soul. And may God's word revive our souls this morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> Look at the Advent wreath. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is there a pink or more precise rose-colored candle 
on the third Sunday of Advent. From a traditional liturgical perspective, purple not only represents royalty, but it also points to longing, suffering, difficulty, even repentance and mourning over sin. The rose-colored represents joy. And so what is the symbolism of the Advent wreath? Why is there a pink candle amongst purple candles this third Sunday of Advent? Because it has a very profound message for God's people. God's people are to be characterized by joy, even in the midst of longing, repentance, mourning, fasting, grief, and suffering. We are to be as a rose color amongst a sea of purple. We are to have joy. And today we look to Simeon and Anna to show us about having joy in the midst of difficulty. We'll look at three things. Simeon and Anna long for joy. Simeon and Anna show us the reason for ultimate joy. Now we have joy over many things, over people, but we're, we're talking today about everlasting joy as Isaiah spoke of in chapter 35 of his prophecy. We're talking today about that joy that only comes from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We are talking about the reason for the joy of Christ. And then lastly, we'll look at this re response of joy. What has happened to all your joy? Has been a question asked. And that's a question I have asked myself. So longing for joy, reason for joy, and a response of joy. First, longing for joy. Years ago, as, as I have talked about before, Ray and I were given a potted gardenia plant. This is back when we were in seminary. And so we had this beautiful, green, lush, vibrant gardenia plant that was sitting in our living room. But the only problem was that it only had buds. There were just these little green buds. And so we had to wait with anticipation for those buds to blossom. We wait and anticipate many things, not the least of which is the ketchup commercial with that lush, red, slow-moving ketchup coming out of the bottle, anticipation. We long and wait for our children and grandchildren to be born. Uh, some of us will anticipate getting up Sunday morning and ripping open those gifts. We long and anticipate many things. Anna and Simeon show us the most important thing for which we long for and anticipate. Simeon is described by Luke in this passage as a righteous and devout man, verse 25. He was a lawkeeper and he was a God-fearer. He was a sincere worshiper of God. 
And of special note, Simeon had the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was operative in his life. The Spirit enabled Simeon to understand Scripture, and in particular, God's promise with regards to Messiah who would bring salvation. God's promise with regards to the Lord's Christ, as we read in Luke's account, and the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit had given Simeon an additional fact that he would actually see God's promise of Messiah before he died. He was under the power of the Holy Spirit when he went to the temple on that particular day in Jerusalem, longing to see the consolation of Israel, the one who would be Israel's comfort. Simeon longed for joy. Anna is described by Luke as a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, verse 36. As a prophet, prophetess, she followed in the spirit of women like Hannah and Miriam and Deborah of the Old Testament. She was 84 years old. She was, had been a widow for many, many years, and she was so devoted to God and to God's worship that she did not leave the temple area. She was there fasting and praying day and night. For what was she fasting and praying? It was for this promise of Messiah. She was lamenting over not only her sin, but the sin of Israel, longing for the redemption of Jerusalem to come. Anna longed. Simeon and Anna had a perspective of joyful longing for God's promise, Christ, for God's promise, redemption. Like our gardenia plant, as representatives of the Old Testament order, Simeon and Anna saw the bud, and they longed to see the bud blossom and behold the flower itself. Even more should we have the perspective of joy, even as we long not for the first coming of Christ, not for Christ to accomplish salvation, which he has done, but as we long for his second coming, when he will bring all things to its conclusion, when he will consummate all things and, and introduce the eternal state, perfecting his bride, gathering us around the banquet table, and fulfilling what Isaiah promised, everlasting joy for God's people. In the midst of longing, like Simeon and Anna, with regards to the promise, we are to have joy. God's people are to be characterized by joy even in the midst of longing for heaven because the Lord's Christ, the redemption of Jerusalem, has come and he will come again. Secondly, let's look at the reason for joy according to Simeon and Anna. 
One day, Renee and I returned to our apartment there on the campus of Gordon-Conwell, and we opened the door, and this very fragrant smell just overcome us. And we ran in, we probably walked in, but ran in sounds more dramatic, doesn't it? And there our gardenia plant was arrayed with beautiful white flowers and the beautiful sweet smell of the gardenia flower was all about our apartment. The promise of the flower in the bud had been fulfilled and revealed in that flower. Simeon and Anna experienced that very thing, but not a gardenia plant blossoming. It was the promise they had so long hoped for being revealed to them. Why did Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple? Luke, if you read the account as we read this morning, even if you start earlier, it's kind of a complicated uh, set of facts there. The, the, the story is told and much is assumed the reader knows. Well, I want to unpack this just a little bit for us this morning. Why did Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple that day? The short answer is this, they were obedient. <laughs> they, they obeyed God's law. They presented their son to be circumcised eight days after his birth. And as part of that circumcision, right, they named their son Jesus, which by the way was the name the angel had given to Mary. You see this in verse 21. And then as we look at verse 22, it fast forwards quite a bit, by the way, to Mary and Joseph now presenting their son Jesus there at the temple. But this actually took place 40 days after Jesus' birth, 33 days after Jesus' circumcision. The law specified that a mother after birth either a son or a daughter, was ceremonially unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, if a son was born, that child was to be circumcised. That mother then was to remain in her home 33 more days until she could complete her purification. So 40 days after giving birth, Mary and Joseph come to Jerusalem at the temple, and part of that was for Mary to complete her purification. In fact, when you read the text, the sacrifice that is mentioned there, the turtle doves and the pigeon, is not related to Jesus being presented, but was a part of Mary's purification being complete. And in fact, the law says, offer a lamb, but because of poverty, there was a merciful allowance given for the poor that could not afford a lamb to bring turtle doves and pigeons. It's just a window into the poor state in which our Savior was born. Think about that for just a moment. Lowly, humble. Mary and Joseph came to present Jesus. Actually, they came to consecrate Jesus to the Lord's service. And because it was a consecration that could only take place there at the temple, no redemption price was to be paid, no sacrifice. 
And that's the backdrop of the events that unfold with both Simeon and Anna. As we look at verse 27, we see that the Holy Spirit was involved in this whole process. The Holy Spirit led Simeon to the temple that day. The Holy Spirit had worked, and Mary and Joseph were there presenting Jesus to the Lord's service that day. Simeon encountered the very one in whom he longed for for so long. He took the Christ child in verse 28 into his arms. He embraced the promise. He gripped the promise. He lay hold of the promise of God in salvation. His longing came to an end. Fulfillment had occurred. Joy had come. And the same is true for you and for me. Anna, who came up at that very moment, obviously led by the Holy Spirit, though not specified, presumably to witness Simeon holding the Lord's Christ seeing the redemption of Jerusalem, the fulfillment of that promise for which she had fasted and prayed for so long, being fulfilled and presented, Simeon actually holding this child, Anna comes up and breaks forth in praise, her lamenting, her fasting over sin was over. Salvation had been revealed. Simeon and Anna longed for Jesus, but they did not find Jesus. This is a very significant point of this text. We see that they did not find him because God sovereignly presented the promised one to them. And the point I wish to make here is that this whole series of events is under the sovereignty of God. If you've ever wanted an example of a divine appointment, many of you may remember our late member who is now with the Lord, Mary Ann, who would always talk about divine appointments. Well, this is at the top of the list of divine appointments. God the Holy Spirit sovereignly working in Simeon, in Anna, in Mary, and Joseph, bringing all of these things to this moment. God working to enable both Simeon and Anna to behold the promise. Not only to understand the scriptures, but to see when the scriptures are actually fulfilled. And the same is true for you and me. Each of us, we don't find Jesus. He is presented to us sovereignly. We are enabled to understand the scriptures and to see the one who is the fulfillment of the scriptures, Jesus. And this is true for all those who behold the Lord's Christ and are gathered in to his kingdom. It is God's work. It is God's Doing, and we see that here in this story. 
Simeon and Anna had the amazing privilege of beholding the bud blossoming into the purest, sweetest smelling flower that has ever walked on the face of this earth, Jesus. The consolation of Israel had broken forth into human history. The redemption of Jerusalem had come to Jerusalem. The Lord's Christ had been revealed. Has the promise of consolation and redemption blossomed for you? If you are still longing for the promise, if and longing for, I would say, I was just reading last night, Schaefer, who said, everybody longs to have a right relationship with the Heavenly Father, even the most staunchest atheist. Are you still longing for something that will allow you to make sense out of life? Are you still longing for something that gives joy that lasts more than just a minute or a day? Don't let this Advent season go by without considering by the testimony of Simeon and Anna that the redemption of Israel no, the redemption of you, the consolation for you, the Lord's Christ for you has come. Turn to him. Cry out to him. Repent of your sin and embrace him for forgiveness and find what Simeon and Anna experienced, what I found and ex have experienced and am experiencing, what many of us here today have found and are experiencing. Not that we found, but we were presented with that. That there is joy everlasting in Christ Jesus. Has the bud blossomed for you? God's people are to be characterized by joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, because the reason for joy has broken forth into human history. Beginning in a cradle, journeying to a cross, and ending up in an empty tomb and an enthronement in heaven. And one day he'll come again to consummate all things, fulfilling in full all of God's promises. And lastly, the response of joy. The late Jack Miller was a professor, PCA pastor, missionary, developed the sonship, discipleship material. He is known for asking this question, what has happened to all your joy? After many, many years of faithful, fruitful ministry, Jack Miller asked himself that question for the first time. What has happened to all my joy? And to get at the bottom of the answer to that question, Jack spent six months 
I believe he went overseas. And all he did every day, like Anna, every day, not to pray and fast, I'm sure he did that, but his sole purpose was to study the promises of God. And after six months of studying the promises of God, Jack speaks of the fact that God's promises in Christ Jesus began to well up in him, promoting, guess what? Joy. Would it be fair to ask for each one of us what has happened to our joy? And then to ask this question, what should we do about it? I identify with Jack's question. I identify with Jack's struggle. I can easily say today, as I look back of just yesterday and maybe even this morning, literally in many respects, where, where has all my joy gone? For each of us in leadership, today we'll be ordaining and installing new officers. We have a number of officers here today. We have faithful men who are serving here at Covenant. We have a great assistant pastor. I'm not so bad a senior pastor. But I will say this, I, I'll speak for myself, and I'm probably speaking for every elder and deacon that is here today, that the blessings and hardships of ministry, notice the blessings and hardships of ministry have the potential, if not the likelihood, to become our focus to the extent that we lose sight of Christ and his salvation. And it is for that reason that those of us in ministry, like Jack and like Tim, can ponder the question, what has happened to all my joy? I'm doing the right things. The right people are upset with me, so I must be leading well. We can be so driven by overseeing ministry, governing the church, shepherding people, looking out for the physical needs of people. We can easily lose the perspective of joy because we've let these things crowd out the preeminence of Christ in our hearts and minds and our lives. But men in leadership, we're not alone because the sheep that we lead struggle with the exact same thing don't you I think every one of us here today every Christian in this church probably at some point if not today and maybe some other day could ask what has happened to all my joy the blessings and struggles of home and work and relationships living in this fallen world and compounded Living through this pandemic with all of its challenges and difficulties and disappointments can be so consuming that we lose sight of Christ and God's promises through Christ, in particular the promise of salvation. I suspect every Christian struggles with this. We may all ask, what has happened to my joy? And then secondly, what should I do about it? What should we do about it? It's what Jack did about it. What did Jack do about it? 
He followed the pattern of Simeon and Anna. He reconnected with, he reestablished the priority of God's promises through Christ Jesus, in particular, the beautiful promises of salvation. Anna expressed true unceasing joy when she broke out in thanksgiving to God over the long-awaited redemption of Jerusalem. Verse 38, Simeon was ready to depart in peace in verse 29. The guy was ready to die. The Holy Spirit said, hey, you'll, you'll see the promise before you die. He saw the promise. He said, my life is so complete. I am so satisfied. Nothing more important or great can happen to me. I am ready to die. I think that's a beautiful expression, response of joy. The reason for their joy that for which they had longed for, that for which their life was all about had been fulfilled. They were satisfied. And that satisfaction overflowed with joy. The ultimate reason for joy is, the, is beautifully given in Simeon's word. Just look at beginning with verse 30, that the child he held was the one who would bring salvation to God's people. The Lord's Christ broke forth into human history he lived and ministered before men. He, born, he, he was born, he grew up, he accomplished all that was necessary to save sinners, verse 31. And he came to save all types of people as a light to the Gentiles and glory of Israel, verse 32. Beautiful picture of all that Christ has done for us is summarized in these few words. Simeon also foretells of the result of Jesus' redemptive ministry in verses 33 through 35. The arrogant and prideful will fall, judgment, but the meek and humble will rise, salvation. And even Mary, the text tells us that a sword will pierce her own soul, pointing to her suffering and agony there at the crucifixion of her son, Mary would have sorrow. But in the midst of those difficulties and struggles, there is this tone of joy over the coming salvation. Jesus causing the rising of many, the salvation of the elect, is the central promise here in this account that that we have from Simeon and Anna. And that should fill us with overflowing and unstoppable joy. The prophet Isaiah that Jerry read from earlier in, verse, in chapter 35 points to the reason for joy, the everlasting joy of, of every sinner is to be saved by grace through faith. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee. The response of joy is not only for conversion, which it truly is. But that response is characteristics of those who live day by day in Christ. And one day our joy will be matured to its fullest. After Christ comes again, we will be gathered as the perfected church in heaven and experience the fullness of that everlasting joy of which Isaiah speaks. So what is the implication today? You're looking at it. 
is the symbolism of the Advent wreath. The Advent wreath symbolism answers the question, well, what should we do about our struggle with joy, our lack of joy? The symbolism reflects the biblical truth that joy characterizes God's people even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of much purple. I'm sorry for those purple-colored lovers. But it also calls us to embrace the promise of God in Christ anew. That there is a profound reason, an ultimate reason, for joy in the midst of difficulty represented by that rose-colored candle. Let each of us ask, have we allowed the circumstances, concerns, other loves, people, or anything in this life, something that we have erected as an idol to replace Christ and to be our first false love? Have we turned from the one in whom we depend for life? Have we lost sight of the one through whom all the promises of God, especially salvation, are ours through faith? Idols, anything and anyone, good or bad, that we, can, that we erect as a replacement of Christ will drive our lives, will promise much, but will never fulfill. Only Christ and his saving work in their proper place as first in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives will give us everlasting joy. And what we must do is to repent of our idolatry, of our losing sight of Christ and all his saving benefits because we have focused on that which is a replacement, either a concern, a difficulty, some idol that is driving us. We need to repent and to turn again to Jesus and embrace him even in, 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 in the same joyful way that Simeon took hold of that Christ child. By faith, may we so take hold of, of Christ and all of his saving benefits afresh and believe upon him. The third Sunday of Advent, that rose candle in the midst of all that purple calls us to embrace God's promises in Christ Jesus afresh. That we might be what we are meant to be, God's people who are joyful even in the midst of difficulty. Christ and his salvation is the ultimate reason for everlasting joy. And like Simeon and Anna, we must turn to him. Joy is the response. When God's people embrace God's promises in Jesus by faith, God's people will be characterized by joy. God's people will be a very significant and profound splash of rose color in a sea of purple, a splash of rose color that cannot be missed by the onlooking world. May God 
give us joy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this third Sunday of Advent that calls us to consider Jesus as a fulfillment of all your promises, in particular the promise of salvation. We admit as we've prayed in the prayer of confession that we so quickly come to the place of lacking joy because we're focused on other things. We've lost sight of Jesus. And Lord, I pray today that, that we would see this third Sunday of Advent calling us, as do Simeon and Anna, to turn from those things that never will give joy and embrace Jesus and all his saving benefits that we might overflow with unstoppable joy. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.